Okay, let's pray, and we'll get into our text. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness in our life. We thank you for your provision and your goodness. Uh, Lord, as we um, enter into the story that is uh, one of, it's the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, and so it is a significant miracle. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at um, the story of the multiplication of, of the loaves and fishes and uh, really the story of your ability to provide, uh, Lord, we ask that you would encourage us, Lord, through this story. Um, we pray that you would help us to, to really imagine what happened and, and the feelings that the apostles felt as they were tested by Christ in the story and that we would be able to apply it to our own lives, Lord, ultimately, that we would walk closer with you, that we would trust you more and more uh, to meet our, our needs, uh, to, to care for our worries, um, Lord, just to provide for us in, in the variety of ways that we need care. Uh, we confess, or I confess, that it's so easy to get wrapped up in my own worries and concerns about uh, my life, um, and not trusting you to provide. But as we sang earlier today, that you are a good, good father and you care for us. And so we are very grateful for that. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Uh, The apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd And he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves. And he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up the twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate of the loaves. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for uh, the story, uh, what happened Lord, we ask that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the text and guide us as we study this passage. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. What I, I, I prayed 
is th- this is the only miracle that appears in all four of the Gospels. Uh, it was significant to the apostles who witnessed it. I, I truly think that this miracle, who it had the most impact on, was was the were the apostles who um, were the ones who really witnessed it firsthand. When we look at the crowds, there's five thousand upwards of. If you take five thousand men, most commentators believe you're looking at fifteen to twenty-five thousand people, um, which is kind of like the cl- what the closest that I can imagine to that is I think of the sports arena, whatever it's called, Pachanga, I think is what it's called now. That I think that seats about 14,000 people. So if you imagine like a, a, a rink like that filled with fans. Um, so so this is, this is a, a huge crowd. And if you're in that crowd and people start delivering you food, I, I don't think you necessarily recognize where the food came from. But in this story, we'll see that Jesus is doing it and handing it out to the apostles who knew the crisis at hand. And, and so I, I, I think that we find ourselves in this, this string of, of lessons that Jesus is teaching the apostles, preparing them for his departure. We know that he's about a year out from his crucifixion. And so uh, Jesus is really teaching them some lessons. Uh, we entered the story, verse 30. Um, the, the apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And so this story picks up really from verses 12 through 13, where Jesus, not 12 through 13, I'm sorry, six verses 12 through 13, if I didn't say that. I hear, I hear pages turning, I'm like, uh-oh, I think I said chapter 12 and 13. That's not what I meant. Um, but, but Jesus had appointed the 12. He sent them out two by two. He said, go out in the surrounding villages, stay to the people of Israel, proclaim the kingdom of God, uh, go out, take nothing with you. And then as they go out, we learn that the, the impact of Jesus, his message and what he was doing be, is spread all the way up uh, to the palace of Herod Agrippa. And, it, and he was super paranoid. Uh, we learned last week that uh, John not only was taken into custody, but he ultimately was executed after two years that his head was cut off. And then uh, Mark expands on the story of what had happened because Herod Agrippa, as Jesus has uh, moving and doing things, Herod's uh, uh, conviction, his conscience is troubling him. He knows that John the Baptist was a good man, a godly man, and he now thinks that John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and now he's coming after him. So he is freaking out, I think is a technical term. And we then return to the story in verse 30, and we learn that the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And this is all we know about their little journey. Um, and, and so I imagine, I, you know, I wasn't there, but I've been around a lot of group of guys when they come back and they sort of, you know, tell their fishing stories. And, and yesterday, uh, if my voice sounds raspy, I had to talk to a lot of people. I was invited to go back to the church where I came to Christ and to be on a panel of seals to kind of talk about uh, our conversion and it was, I mean, the, that part was okay, but it was like there are thousands of people there. And they had us hidden in a little private room, which was awesome. That was really, that part was nice. But then they said, okay, guys, like 20 minutes out, we need you guys to go mingle with people. I'm like, I, I don't mingle. Like, I, it's not <laughs> like, and it's, well, I'm thinking that. I didn't tell them that. And so and they, they assigned like a little bouncer with each one of us. And so I walk into the room and I go to the very back and I'm just sitting here 
And then the bouncer's like, look at me. He's not a bouncer. He's a nice guy. But he's like, hey, hey we, we need to go. We were supposed to go mingle. And I'm like, you got the introvert. And he's like, oh, you too? And, I'm, and he's like, yeah. And, and I'm like, I don't really want to. And he's like, I don't want to either. And he's like, but we have to. And I'm like, they're not paying me. I'm a volunteer. Like, I don't have to. And, and, and he's like, but for the sake of the gospel. And I'm like, oh, you rascal. And I'm like, how about you just walk around and the people that you know that come up to you and say hi, just introduce me to them. And so we did that for a while. And, and, uh, and, and so then they brought us back, or maybe it was beforehand, and the MC, I don't like MCs because good MCs are normally really aggressive people and they, you know, they start telling their story and they're like, and, and so he wanted to, to, to get to know us beforehand. And so we're sitting in the back room and the guy has all of his questions and he's trying to lead us. And, and I'm the guy that doesn't do well, like if I, like, I, with keeping my mouth shut. And so finally I'm like, can I say something here? I, I'm like, you're asking all these questions and you think you know everything about the SEAL teams and you're leading us where you think you want the story to go. But the reality is, is like the SEAL teams aren't what the movies make it out to be. And I'm not going to be sitting here talking about, I'm here to talk about Christ and what he's done in my life. And I'm not here to talk about war stories and all the other SEALs are like not in their head. And, and, and then he's like, okay, well, why don't you guys just talk to me? And so then we started like sharing stories. And then, the, then each of us, as we start sharing our stories about what Christ has been doing in our lives, like we each are like weeping. One guy starts talking to me, he's like, man, I cheated on my wife. And, and God like totally restored our marriage and he's like just broken about what God has done in their marriage and given them kids. And, and then the other guy starts weeping. He's like, I was in Afghanistan and I stepped on an IED with my buddy. And we recognized it. And I wasn't a believer at the time. And I saw that the guy that stepped on it, I'm like, he was, he's like, he's like 100 pounds lighter than me. So it was obvious that he was the one that was supposed to leave. And he said, three times during that occurrence, I felt God, I heard God's voice tell me, I have you, you'll be okay. And he's like, just crying. The, the poor MC's looking at us like, you guys are three seals and you're all like crying at me? Like, what is happening here? But we're like swapping stories. And then we start reliving, like, you know, we were all in different generations of the SEAL teams and we we're kind of telling our stories. And so I, I see these 12 guys sitting around Jesus in pairs of two. One person said, oh man, we were in this one town and do you remember that one guy, he said this and you said that and you didn't know what to do. Then all of a sudden, this and they're like, oh yeah, that reminds me, we had something just like that. And so I just see these guys sharing like excitement and passion and, and just thrilled what God had done through this journey, debriefing Jesus and and, and exhausted. There's something about doing these things that's that's exhausting. I know that I've talked to, like Don has shared Sunday afternoons from leading worship. We go, oh, we all have a great time. We feel so great after leading worship. For Don, he's wiped out Sunday afternoon. I get wiped out. Anna comes, I see Anna yesterday afternoon and I'm like a zombie and she's like, oh man, tomorrow's going to be good. I'm like, why did you read the text? The text is really, really good. And she's like, you're exhausted. So you're either going to be crying on us or you're going to be really funny. <laughs> and I don't know which one's coming. And, and, uh, and, and so these guys are exhausted. I was talking too much yesterday. And so Jesus sees this in them. 
And so one lesson I think that he taught last week that we saw, they went out two by two. They were not allowed to take anything. They had to trust God to provide for them. They had to trust the circumstances. They had to learn uh, courage. They had to learn boldness as they interacted with people. Um, they had to learn harass- how to be harassed. And so now they're back. And then in verse 31, Jesus is going to teach them about rest. And so he said to them in verse 31, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Then there's a parenthetical statement that Mark is going to explain to us. Um, So they came back, they'd been serving. And then Mark tells us, this is the second time in Mark, he says, for there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat, uh, which sounds terrible to me. Um, But, 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 like, it's not like there were just, you get the impression like, that their crowds come, but there's those three words, coming and going. So it's like a wave of people would come. Jesus would deal with them, and then they would leave, and then there'd be another crowd coming. And it's just, I mean, to the, they couldn't eat. It was just so nonstop. And they're tired, and they're, they're worn out. And Jesus says, okay, guys, let's go on a little uh, R&R. Let's go, let's I got us an Airbnb. We're going to go up and we're going to rent a place and we'll just get away from everybody and we'll take a couple days to catch our breath, to recharge our batteries, and to get caught up. It's, it, it's a beautiful scene. And so they went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. And like, I like wrestled whether or not to show the map. Um, First, I had just an arrow to one spot, but then it creates a problem next week. And then I thought, oh, I'll just put a mosaic of a beautiful church that has the, the fishes and loaves on the floor from Israel. And then I'm a guy like, well, let's just deal with the problem head on. Um, because there's the four Gospels, there's language, and, and we're 2,000 years removed. And how you, um, they, how you translate certain words, there's some variance, uh, like... You can say they went toward this city, or you can translate it, they went to that city, um, which creates problems. I, I don't think that they foresaw uh, the, the microscopic lens that we would be looking at these things. And so most people hold, so there's the three ovals that you can see. Hopefully you can see the three ovals. And the left oval is Capernaum. So this is the hometown, uh, the, the home base of Jesus' ministry. This is uh, w- where they did, I mean, this is where they met. That's where the synagogue was. That's where Peter's mother-in-law lived. So they probably crashed with her. And I feel like I can't see you over here, so I'm going to move this down. Um, and, and so it's believed that when the 12 went out, they had a sort of a, a prearranged time and location to be back. Everybody believes, we don't have this in the text, but... It just seems to make sense to say, okay, guys, you have a week to go out next Saturday. Be back here at Capernaum. We'll all gather together, and then we'll just deal with the next thing there. And so Luke, uh, when Luke writes, it, it sort of gives you the impression from Luke 9.10 that they just got in a boat, and they went to Bethsaida. You can see that, that, that where that circle is. If you go to this, you know, this map that they sell in Israel, um, you'll see Jesus or Bethsaida, Jesus' miracles. And they say, oh, that's the multiplication location. Um, but then you read Mark, just kind of giving you guys a head where my problem 
the tension is in verse 45 of our passage that we'll get to next week. It says, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. And so it's kind of like, well, what are we talking about? And so there's a whole bunch of different speculations and we can get lost in all of the details. The, the bubble up north is, it's a town called Bethsaida Julius. So there's another Bethsaida up there. Um, my gut is what I kind of think happened is they left on the shoreline from Capernaum. They made their way down toward Bethsaida and they stopped somewhere in the north. Okay, that's, um, I, I don't think it's really in, important to the story, but at the same time, there, there's so many people that want to criticize the text and say, oh, there's inconsistencies, and I don't think there's inconsistencies. I, I think we're just removed 2,000 years, and, and it's really not even like a key part to the story. Um, so I think they were probably heading towards, but I'm not, and then they stopped somewhere. Um, Jesus, the, the, the important part is the idea of rest. We, we see it in the very beginning of the Bible in, G- in Genesis that God created six days and on the seventh he rests. Does God need rest? No, God does not need rest. But he set this pattern of life that we as humans would follow. Six days of work followed by a day of, of rest. Um, it's so easy to be busy. And we live in a culture that is busy, busy, busy. That, that we're, I think we're literally killing ourselves with busyness. Um, our, our culture is to go, go, go. Um, we schedule ourselves so thin where there's no margins in our life. Um, it seems like we do the same thing to our kids with activities. And... I personally, like, it seems to me like that there's an epidemic in our culture today uh, of suicide being, like, off the charts. It, 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 and it's the same way in Japan. And in Japan, they work themselves, work themselves, work themselves to where they just want out of the rat race. And I don't think that we were created to, to live our lives in this, this cycle where we're going, 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 um, I, I found a quote. I don't know who the guy is or his missions a- agency, but apparently he's like the, the head of a missions agency. And on his desk, he has a, a quote that says, beware of the barrenness of a busy life. And so you can be really busy. You can do all sorts of things, but your life can be empty. And, and so I think there's a lesson to be learned from quietness and stillness and just not doing anything. Um, And I think Jesus is trying to teach them this lesson. We see that Jesus often went away and isolated himself and and sort of caught his breath, recharged his batteries, uh, refocused. Um, It's been a long time since I've looked at the president's schedule, Not, not the current president, but like any president, it's it's amazing to me they're like schedules, but it but I've always noticed that they always like schedule in blocks of like do not interrupt time. Like that's what what Camp David exists for to to whisk them away, be, be, because in every component they realize if you just go nonstop you're you're going to be ineffective, um, and it seems to almost be catching on. I think I saw in the news this week that there's like gyms that are using the word self care. So now there's like gyms that you can go to 
apparently, I haven't been to one, uh, or any gym for that matter, really. <laughs> uh, but they, they have like treadmills in a dark room where you can like watch a movie while you're running, which sounds awesome, you know, that's sarcasm, just to be clear. Um, uh, but, but like the idea of being able to like go away and ch- just take care of yourself, self-care, and, and because if you don't, it leads to bad places. And so it's, it's this beautiful picture. Hey, guys, let's go away. Um, now, Jesus, I think, no, like Jesus knows. And I think that there's this lesson of getting away, but there's going to be an interruption in their plans. Uh, verse 33, and we read, The people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. So here I see these poor guys. Oh, great, we get a little vacation. This is awesome, road trip or boat trip, you know? Like, and I kind of see them kind of hugging, hugging the shoreline a little bit out in the distance. But the Sea of Galilee, I mean, it's not huge. So even if they were out a few hundred yards and, and somebody says, those are, the, those are the apostles right there. And they, they're, they're going that way. Well, let's keep going that way. And so they're just tracking the boat. And I... I just can't even imagine, like as an introvert, like the disappointment of the apostles. Like, are you kidding me? We haven't eaten. And, and what are we going to do? We can't get away from these people. And then we read verse 34, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. So we know by the end of this, this large crowd is 5,000 men. Um, I, I think this is for a legal accounting of the people. Um, so the men would be counted, but if you take a, a, the average man who's married and maybe with some kids, that's how the number grows from 5,000 to upwards of fifteen to 25,000. Like it's this huge crowd. Um, and what we learned about Jesus is that he felt compassion. And th- this, is, this is a word uh, that... that is like at your, at your core, I, I think the idea carries like your guts is the Greek, like that deep within his belly, he like ached for what he sees of these people for, he, for we're told that they were like sheep without a shepherd. Um, and this is the beginning, this whole story, there's, there's Old Testament allusions of, of Moses and Jesus sort of being a type of Moses, replacing Moses. And so throughout this story, and especially if we go to the accounting of John chapter 6 of his story, we'll see that Jesus even says that he relates the story to, 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 um, to, to Moses and the manna and, and caring for the people. In fact, in Numbers, you don't have to turn there, but in Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17, it's sort of, at the end of Moses' life, um, he knows he's not going to enter into the land. He, he needs a replacement. He knows he's not going, but the replacement hasn't been identified yet. And, and listen what's recorded there. It says, then Moses spoke to the Lord saying, so Moses is praying to God for the, the people of Israel who he's leading. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who will go out and come in before them who will lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord will not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And 
and so this, this, the, the similarities in this story, like here there's almost a direct quote for the people who look like sheep without a shepherd. Moses praying for the people of Israel, Lord, please send another man to, to lead them so they're not like sheep without a shepherd. And then his response to him, the other account said that there was, there was teaching and that there was some healing, but, but Mark seems to the, the focus on that he, the teaching aspect, that he began to teach them many things. Uh, one, one suggested you see a group of people that are like sheep without a shepherd. He's like, wow, I mean, I'm more like see a mom that would go up and like give them a big hug. Here, kiddos, you're going to be okay. Like, uh, but, but the response is that Jesus begins to teach them. And that Jesus very much had a teaching ministry. And when you look at the church which Jesus built... And he established in the order which he put in through uh, pastors, elders, uh, the structure of the church. It, it very much is a, a teaching order of proclamation of the word of God which he has revealed. And that discipleship happens through elders who proclaim the word of God so that it goes into our hearts. And that from that the spirit of God then moves and leads us. Um, and it... it it just is interesting to me. Uh, we, we live in a day and age where many Christians want to be lone rangers, where they don't want to be involved in the local church. Uh, there's great teaching ministries that are on TV, and almost all of them would say, don't, this doesn't replace church. Like, I love Dr. J, you know, Dr. David Jeremiah, who my brother, like, and he's like, don't, just, I'm on TV, but that's not church. Like, you need to be at a local body. Um, there's, there's the picture that there's, there's a shepherd who smells like the sheep, who's in and out amongst them, that's walking with them, uh, sharing life with them, that as he's teaching, he's relating to them. Um, not just some guy on a, on a TV screen, uh, regardless of the setting, that, that God has created pastors and a body that we're together, getting dirty together and doing life and and crises happen, and there's deaths, and there's struggles, and there's triumphs, and, and the church that Christ has created is for us to be in it together. And he modeled it, and he taught this to the apostles. Um, but now we have their vacation still ruined. <laughs> and the, the lesson that I see here is to quote from uh, Chuck Smith, Chuck Smith is famous for saying, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break. And, and things almost never go according to plan. And so Jesus has set them up like, hey, we're going to go get some rest. And he would get them rest. But I think there's something about, hey, you're going to go and we're going to get a break. And then, but Jesus knows there's going to be a crowd here. There's going to be a distraction. There's going to be something that you didn't anticipate that you think is a distraction, but is actually the very reason that you're there. Um, I'm convinced that the harder, and I'm speaking to myself because I am like, I like order. I like my plans. I don't like plans being distracted. It, it gives me anxiety. I, um, I've worked on it a lot. I think it goes back to my childhood. Um, that a, that a change of plans disrupts like the control that I have in my life, and it it, it just it, it. I've come a long way. I'm not so bad with this anymore. Like God, but, but I'm leading into what I'm about to say. 
<laughs> so I'm convinced that the harder that you try to maintain control in your life, the more disruptions I think that God will place in your life to teach you to be fluid and flexible with things in his journey of making you Christ-like. Um, and, I, and I do think that there's, like as a pastor, there's like super tension with this in, in my life that I've, I've like struggled with over the years of um, forcing myself to find rest, but also with the conviction of availability and to, to be there. Um, I, uh, I know we talked a while ago and, and uh, we were having dinner and, and uh, Matthew Shower, for those of you who can't see him up front here, he's like, oh no, what are we talking about? Like, I, uh, but I remember we were talking, I'm like, well, like I shared about this struggle about like I, like I want to be available. He's like, well, who's putting that on you? I'm like, well, me. And he's like, well, why, why, why would you do that? I'm like, I believe it's my calling. And and he's like, you can't, you need to be able to take rest. I'm like, well, I agree with you. And I found a way, you know. And, I, and, and, and so the, the tension of availability, I found, so if sometimes you text me and you get an auto-reply text, I found this app that, because the thing is, is that if I want to take time off to rest, but at the same time, if somebody dies or gets hurt, I want to be available. And so I found that before, most of the times people text me like, hey, do you have so-and-so's number? And I'm not wired in a way to like, Ignore, like I can't not sit on like I can't sit on things like so if I see somebody wants their number then I'm just going to deal with it and then it's like the well, next thing I know I'm opening my email and then I'm dealing with other things and so then I found this app that will allow like an auto response like hey I'm I'm away from my phone right now um, if this is an emergency contact Melanie and Debbie's always harassed me she's like, I always feel bad for Melanie because I text you and it's like contact Melanie and and it's like, well, nobody contacts Melanie unless somebody dies, you know? Like, if somebody is, like, dying, then, they, then I'm available. And so, like, I get it. There's, there's tension here. And I, and I see tension in this story that Jesus is stressing to them the importance of charging your batteries because you can't, you can't lead and grow spiritually from an empty tank. You need to keep your tank full. But at the same time, Crises don't strike between the hours of nine to five, Monday through Friday, or what? Like, and so there is that we're in life to, together, and so fi- like striking that balance is difficult. And I'm convinced that Jesus is trying to teach them this lesson in the midst of this this story. Now we move on to verse 35. I, I want to point out the phrase "quite late." Um, you know, Mark likely is writing this story. Um, getting information from Peter. They believe that, that Mark is from G- Peter's first-hand account uh, given to Mark. Um, but then there's also the accounting of the other apostles who all share this story. And there's something funny about the word, for some reason to me, it just struck me as twice in this verse, we're going to see the words quite late. So Mark, when he begins, he says, when it was already quite late, so it's late. Um, the sun's getting ready to set, they're out somewhere, it's late, it's dark. His disciples came to him, that's Jesus, and said, this place is desolate. We're out in the middle of nowhere. There's no Chick-fil-A, there's no In-N-Out, there's nothing nearby, like there's no stores, like there's nothing. And it's already quite late. It's late. Like 
we're already past dinner time. The people, the kids, like we're already approaching bedtime. They should have brushed their teeth and be in bed now, but it's quite late. We're out here already. Um, send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I am not sure what to make of their reaction. Um, on one hand, I think that they're, I, like I see this as like they're being considerate because it's really late. Come on, Jesus, you've been talking all day. It's getting dark. They need to eat. They need to go about their business. Like if you just send them away, they can do that and we can pick up tomorrow morning or, uh, uh, or we can get back to our downtime. You know, the, the, so I don't know if they're being practical or if they're being selfish or a little of both. Like I, I just don't know and maybe that's because I really would like them to have their vacation. You know, like it's like, hey guys, they need a little downtime. They've been doing stuff and... And, and these people are hungry. Like I already mentioned that I enjoy eating. Like I like having meals. And if it's so late, it's like, come on. Like. And so he answered them in verse 37. And we have this, this exchange between Jesus and the disciples, which is uh, quite hilarious in my opinion. Then he answered them and he says, you give them something to eat. Uh-oh, oh, we got a problem now. So Jesus just created a, like, an epic crisis for them. Um, and they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii? The, the, this is like a huge amount of money. Like, I, I'm thinking, you know, like, though I haven't had to pay for a wedding party, but I'm imagining, like, we just have this money lying around to, 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 to host all of these people, 200 denarii on bread to give them something to eat. So yesterday, I, um, so afterwards, because I was like, well, how many people are there? I'm like, I don't know. It's a lot of people. Like, this is ridiculous. Um, so I learned that it was 750 men by one person's count. I don't know how they count. Maybe tickets they sold or something. And what I was really impressed with multiple times, I saw this guy with a dolly and, you know, like a, maybe like a milk crate, I guess, those little plastic crates filled, like the crate was filled with like bags of bacon from the store, but it was like multiple crates. So like a whole dolly of bacon. And I'm like, dude, where are you going? And he's like, I'm going out there. I, I must have seen him make like seven runs of this bacon. I, I mean... I don't even know how many pigs like surrendered their lives in honor of this event. But, but it was a ton of bacon and there's all this tri-tip and I'm like, how did they do this? There had to, there had to have been a professional run in all of the stuff. But that, that happened yesterday and now I'm looking at this and there's 5,000 men plus more and Jesus is saying, go feed them. Like, I don't know the last time that you were in a, a stadium or like qual, the Qualcomm, that's not qual, whatever the, where that team used to play that we used to have and, <laughs> and, and the arena. Like, if you walked in and there's no food and there's you and your 11 buddies, it's like, hey, go feed all these people. <laughs> I can't. Like, how? In John 6, 6, in his telling of the story, we're told there that Jesus did this to test them. 
um, that, that the, the apostles were being taught a lesson in the midst of this crisis. It always reminds me of when I was a young man, I did something stupid that I don't need to talk about. I talk about all the stupid stuff I do. Um, but we were in Hawaii. We were at Kaneohe, which is a, a, a range at Kaneohe. And I, I came in, and I'm at the range, and my boss looks at me, and he said, there's like two ranges down this really steep hill. And he's like, hey, Gunnar, I need you to carry this... Uh, this, this case of uh, 45 ammo down to the range. And I was like, 45 ammo is not allowed down there because it's, it's too high of a velocity for the range. He's like, don't talk back, just go do it. He didn't tell me I was in trouble. But I knew I was in trouble, but he wasn't letting in that he knew that I was in trouble kind of thing. And, and I'm like, man, I, I tell you, like, that range, we can't shoot that ammo down there, and this is a case of it. Well, I don't even know how much a case of 45 weighs. And he's like, just do it. I'm like, all right. So I, in the hot humidity, I stagger down the hill. I go like the half mile. I throw, I throw the case down, and the chief's waiting down there. He's like, get that ammo out of here. You can't have 45 down at this range. <laughs> I'm like, I know. I'll take it back. <laughs> and it's like, go up to the hill, and I see, like, Sam was not allowed down there. And he looks at me. He's like, I know. And he's like, you know what you did. Don't do that again. And I'm like, we're not talking about the ammo, are we? And he's like, we're not talking about the ammo. I'm like, yes, sir. I won't do it again. Thank you very much. And I went about my day. And so I see this. They've just gone out two by two with nothing, trusting God to provide for them. And now Jesus is kind of like up in the ante on them. There's all of these people. Feed them. How? Like we don't have, like, even if we don't have the money to cover this, like, what do you want us to do? And again, I'm not going to read Exodus 16, but if you want to go back to Exodus 16 on your own and read through Exodus 16, you'll find the story of Moses. Moses being the like of Jesus. Then you'll see the people of Israel grumbling. First in chapter 15, it's about that there's no water. Then he hits the stick with the, the rock. The water comes out. And then they're grumbling against Moses, against God, that we have nothing to eat. How are we going to do this? We can't, yada, 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 just grumbling, 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 complaining. And the likeness, and at the end of John chapter 6, Jesus likens that story to this story. And so then at the end of the story, we know what does God do? He miraculously provides manna from heaven. Don't ask me what it is because it says, what is this? I don't know. Bread that disappeared when you didn't need it anymore kind of thing. And, and so here the apostles are kind of like grumbling, like how are we going to do this? There's no food. There's all these people. What do you expect? It, the people are the nation of Israel. They're supposed to be the leaders. And so then we come to verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. And so they, when they found out, they said to him, five and two fish. And so don't, don't think huge fish here. Um, think like little sardine. Think little like breadcrumbs. From one of the accounts, we see that they're like, leave it to a mother to send her little boy with a lunch. Because it's a little boy that has this. So basically, one kid has a little packet, a Lunchables pack. 
and they come back with a kid's lunch. We had a couple crumbs, like we got like five little pieces of bread and two sardines. And so they, humanly speaking, they don't have the resources. And I think that there's a lesson here of learning to walk by faith, trusting God to provide for you. There's a desperation in this situation. And in verse 39, he commanded them all to go sit down in groups on the the green grass. Some have made the allusion to Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie in green pastures. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. It's like the first dinner eights. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and kept giving them to the disciples. So this phrase right there, this, this, is, this, is the, the, this is the point we have to focus on. This is like the miracle of the story. This, um, this phraseology is in the imperfect tense of the Greek, which, um, which sort of means like it's an incompleted action or carrying like it's an ongoing action. So it's not, it's not like he did this once. It's more like this is a repeated thing that he's doing sort of over and over and over again. And the, and the New American Standard at least captures it. He kept giving to the disciples. And, and this is why I think in the large crowd of, of 5,000 at a, at a minimum of men, likely much more, when you have 5,000 people, like we're going to take communion today. And you all aren't going to see what's on the stage when the guys come up. But, but this would be the equivalent like today, whoever comes up here, and I really only have like, Five crackers and two things of juice. And the, the, I could see the guys coming up, Gunner, like, what do you expect to do with this? Well, now, I'm not Jesus. But suddenly, like, here's a tray for you. Here's a tray for you. Here's a tray for you. So the apostles are the one firsthand seeing what Jesus is doing. They brought up, the people didn't know that there was only five fish and two crackers. Like, we're going to see that they didn't get it and they misunderstood this miracle. But they walked up with the Lunchables. But the disciples, he kept giving to the disciples to set before them, and he divided up the two fish among them all. And they ate, and they were satisfied, and they picked up 12 full baskets of the broken pieces of fish. And there were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. And this is amazing. This is a picture of God's provision. Not only did they eat, they said they ate till they were satisfied and that there were leftovers. And then they, they collected them all up. Um, yesterday was a lot of fun for me because it was like my, it wasn't my high school reunion, but it was like the 20 year reunions for me, kind of of my conversion. And so there was like a lot of uh, rehashing of where I've come from spiritually. And in that back room in particular, it never made it onto the stage. But when the guy was asking us questions about ourselves, he's like, well, how did your faith like, change how you did life? And so one guy retired, and he, and, and he, um, he talked about how God sustained him. But, I, but me and the other guy, I'm like, I walked away at 12 years. Like, I never earned, like, a paycheck apart from the Navy. Like, the, I was in the Navy 15 days out of high school. There was and eight years from retirement. 
And so there was like all kinds of fear about how am I going to survive? How am I going to provide for a family? How am I going to do this? And in the ministry, like how do you, like you're surviving off people's, like it just, it was a, it was a scary time for me. I had four years really of uh, my last four years of grappling with this transition and wrestling with God about, can I just have like a real job, <laughs> you know, like where you do something and then it's very clear and you can do more of something to make more. And, and so going back there yesterday, it was a reminder of like, because now I'm at like the, I was in the Navy for 12 years. I've been here for 12 years. And so it was like, a, oh, man, God, you've been, like, really, really faithful to me. Like, and he's good. And he wants to meet our needs. And, and this week of all weeks, like, a, like so, so most of you, like, and I, ah, she called it. I'm trying to not get choked up. So you guys will never know, like, you guys will never know Anna like I know Anna. Like, she's my wife. Um. So you all know that she like grew up in Spain, and it's like oh Anna grew up in Spain. It's one, but it's 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 like her 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 heart is in Spain. It's like she was she's Spaniard, like she's she's half American, half Spaniard, and she loves the Spaniard people. And so there's like this, um, like there's this always this longing to, to go back to to see the, like and especially with the kids, like our boys haven't been to like let them learn who their mom is kind of thing. But making trips to Europe is, is not, <laughs> not affordable. Like, it's not really cheap. Like, you know, like the best case scenario, you're looking at $1,000 a ticket, and you, like, I went to public school, and I can figure out six times. If I do one, then you add the zeros. <laughs> like, it, it adds up. And, and so last Sunday, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to church early, and, like, for whatever reason. So I got here, like, at 630 and I texted Derek Moen, who's in Spain, and I texted him through an app that Facebook or something owns. And I say, hey, happy birthday, and I you know, hope you're having a great day in Malaga, Spain. And then like somehow, the next thing I know on my computer, they're advertising tickets to Spain. But I see like tickets from, from here to there for like $460, which you can't barely get to the Midwest for $460. And like, this is total clickbait, but I'm going to bite. And it went to like the, like the real airline's website for that price. And I call Anna. I'm like, hey, Anna, I'm sorry to wake you up. She's like, you didn't wake me up. I was just sitting here praying, like kind of like crying out. Like, well, she told me that afterwards. But I said, there's tickets to Spain for this much. And it's like the off season. And and I, she's like, Gunnar, I was like sitting here like praying, like asking that God would provide a way for us to go. And I'm like, stop doing that. Like, don't do that. Like, don't like. And, and so just like, it might seem silly, but it was like this provision in, in our lives in, in this way, as I'm studying this text, is like just a reminder that God, God, like, God actually cares about you. He loves about you. He loves about you. That was very good English. He, <laughs> I had two sentences and I merged them. He loves you. He cares about you. That's he loves about you. That's my new, that'll be my new colloquialism. I'll see if it can trend, you know, get it going. Um, but like, he knows your needs. He knows your wants. He's good. It means, like, and I'm not a prosperity gospel guy, but the, 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 
the thing is, is that God is good and he cares about us and he'll bless you in ways that you don't see. And like what he wants you to do is to walk with him and to trust him. And it was just funny because I remember yesterday, like one of the things I said is like, I feel like I still travel a bit. I remember one of the things I laid at the altar when I got out of the military is I like traveling. I like the world. I like other cultures. I like people. Like I do like people. This is the introverts. But I still, I do. And I remember when I got out of the Navy and I said, okay, God, if I never get in a plane again, I will be okay with that. I will be content. And, and that he just cares for us. Um, let's close. We're going to do communion, but we're going to look at um, John chapter 6. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so just to orientate you to John chapter 6, um, the, the first 15 verses are John's account of the story that we read today. Uh, at, at verse 15... It, 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 John gives a different sign, like they want to kill him at the end. And, and so t- tension arises, which leads to them moving their location. And then some other things happen. And they catch up with him in verse... You guys will have to read the whole chapter, because for time's sake, I just can't... Like, but basically in verse 26, um, he addresses the people who were there and he says, Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because of the loaves and were filled. He said, you didn't, you didn't come to me because of the miracles. You, you came to me because your bellies were full, got filled. I delivered to you. And that's why you're here. You're, you're not here because your eyes are on me. Your eyes are on the stuff. And then he says, don't work for the food, verse 27, which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which, is, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Like, we want to do all this stuff for you. We want to, we want to. <clears throat> he says, you guys are all off. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Then skipping down to verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. And, and so as we get into communion, it's a, it's a reminder that the, the Lord's Supper is it's a visual picture of what Christ did on the cross, that he died for us, that he suffered the consequence that was due us. 
And so every time we take communion, we go back to the cross and we remind, you know what? He is the bread of life. He provided for us. So this cracker that we're about to hold and have, he's the ultimate provider. He's, he's provided for our salvation. He provides for your sustenance. He gives you hope um, beyond this life that we're all going to see death. We're going to experience death ourselves. We're going to have loved ones that pass beyond us. And we know that Christ made a way for us to have relationship with him, to be in fellowship with him, not to fear the sting of death. And so when we take communion today, my prayer is that we would just simply have a heart of gratitude, that we would be able to give God thanks for all that he has done for us. He's provided salvation to us. He's provided for us uh, to to care for ourselves, to have food, um, to love one another, and he's just good. And so with that, I'm going to have the guys come forward. We'll pass out the elements, and then we'll pray, and then we'll take them. So I think, all right, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, um, for this life that we have in you. Father, we pray for those that um, are here and are maybe still grappling with who Jesus is. And so, Father, I I pray um, that you would help them um, to find the answers of uh, Jesus that history has recorded much about, um, who there's been much that has been authenticated about what he's done and his miracles that we studied today. Uh, We thank you, uh, God, that he is the bread of life, uh, that he sustains and provides for us. Lord, as we take communion today, uh, we're reminded of his broken body that provided for us in the ultimate and most needed way is that he would be a substitute for us. Uh, we thank you for the legal, legal transaction that happened on the cross, uh, that he uh, took the wrath that was due all of humanity for their sin. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you freely without barrier through him, uh, simply by faith, believing in what he did on our behalf. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand grace, um, that we would understand your mercy towards us, Father, I pray that you would help us to um, understand your goodness, uh, your kindness, your compassion for us. Um, We thank you that you're a God that meets our needs, that cares about providing for us. And so, Father, we confess that so often as we navigate life and uh, the the struggles that we go through and the setbacks that we experience and, and the fears that we encounter, uh, we, uh, we look to you, Lord, and we ask that you would increase our faith. Lord, help us to trust you more and more each day. And as we take communion, we ask that you would help us um, to, to truly, fully, continually place our trust in Christ for salvation and for walking this life. Father, we pray for us as a church that you would help us to be your ambassadors, that you would give us courage and boldness um, to proclaim Christ's death on the cross uh, to the world around us that doesn't know him. 
and that we would do this until he comes, comes back or we return home. Uh, we love you, Lord. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.